Okay, good morning everybody. And yay, hopefully all this audio stuff is working. So let's have a word of prayer, please. Father, again, we just praise you and thank you so much for our time together. Um, God, we just ask that you would bless this conversation. Give us, as always, wisdom and insight and understanding into your word. And help us to be able to go out and to share these things and to witness and make disciples. In Christ's name I pray, Lord. Amen. So welcome to week one of our cult study. So today we're going to start with one of the largest and most well-knowns, Jehovah's Witnesses. So why are we starting with Jehovah's Witnesses, as my wife had asked? Because we really don't encounter them. Um, well, we don't encounter them too much in, in county, but in town you do. Um, I certainly encountered them a lot when I was down in California. Almost weekly, usually, where they would come knocking on the door. Um, and I understand that everyone knows that Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. Well, except for Jehovah's Witnesses, of course. But on the off chance that we do have those conversations, I want to make sure that we're equipped to be able to answer those objections that we're going to end up hearing from them. Not only to sh for our own faith, because if you ever have a deep conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, they are extremely well-trained, very, very well-informed at what they do. Um, they train their people a lot better, in my opinion, even though they're horrifically wrong, a lot better in going out making disciples and converts of uh, Jehovah's Witnessism than we do in the evangelical Protestant church. Far much so. I mean, we rarely have discipleship or witnessing classes or anything in, in the mainline church today, and that begins to be a problem. So the simple way, and what's the, what's the issue with Jehovah's Witnesses or any other cult? The main issue, well, they're worshiping the wrong Jesus, right? Their, their view or their explanation of God is so far off, it can't possibly be the God or the Christ that is taught in scriptures. And there's a simple way to see if someone has the true Jesus or not. And by true Jesus, I mean the one of the Bible. Not the one of Mormonism, who is the brother of the devil, as Mormons claim, nor the Jehovah's Witnesses, who say Jesus is actually Michael the archangel, and certainly not the one of the New Age movement, who is simply a man in tune with divine consciousness. So for those of you taking notes, um, I'll slow down a bit because I'm going to list a whole bunch of verses, okay? So what are some tenets of the Christ of the Bible versus the, the Jesus that's taught for Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, the Jesus of the Bible is prayed to, period. He is prayed to. And those verses, we can look those up, is Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60, where you can see Jesus is prayed to. Psalm 116.4, and Zechariah 13.9. And also 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. The Jesus of the Bible is worshipped. He is not worshipped in Jehovah's Witness. So where is he worshipped in uh, the Bible? Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, and uh, verse 11 of chapter 2. Matthew 14, 33. Matthew 28, 9. John 9, 35 through 38. Hebrews 1, 6. Here's the kicker. The Jesus of the Bible is called God. Actually, he is named God. John 20, 28, and Hebrews 1, 8. 
Hebrews, I'm sure you guys know, is the most famous one that I'm referring to. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. In cult theologies, almost all cult theologies, Jesus is a creation in one form or another. Let me explain how, how they have him as a creation. This is why the Jehovah's Witnesses add the word other four times in Colossians 1, 16 through 17. Well, let's read how Colossians 1 is supposed to read in uh, verses 16 through 17. In a normal translation, it says this, For by him, meaning Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, normal translation of the Bible. The Jehovah's Witness translation, same section. Because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and on the earth, the things visible and the things invisible, whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all other things, and by means of him, all other things were made to exist. <coughs> Excuse me. Did you guys catch that? The other in there? I'm sure you guys also have heard the difference um, between a regular translation of the Bible of John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The New World Translation of Jehovah's Witnesses is in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was a God they add an indefinite article. So that's the point of any type of cultish belief, is that they want to make Christ a created thing, not the God of the Bible. If you're a Christian, then you are able to pray to Jesus, not just through him. You will be able to worship Jesus equally with the Father, and you'll be able to call Jesus your Lord and your God. A cultist cannot do this. A cultist has a false Jesus, and therefore a false hope of salvation. If you put your faith in a Jesus that is not true, then your faith is useless. It's the end. And that's the point of having the conversations with these cultists. The power of faith does not rest in the act of believing, but actually in its object. Let me phrase that again. The power of our faith does not act, it's not, um, we don't hold the power in just our own belief. The power of our faith comes from what? Christ. It's whom we are putting our faith in, not just our faith in and of itself. Does that make sense? Right? The greatest faith in someone false is the same as no faith at all. Sincerity and false messiahs do not bridge the chasm of sin between God and man. Only the Jesus of the Bible does that. So then who then is the true Jesus? Jesus said that he was the only one who reveals the Father. Matthew eleven twenty seven and Luke ten twenty two, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal Him. That's as plain as day. Salvation comes from Christ alone, not Christ and. That's your first clue uh, when you're dealing with any type of cult theology or cult belief. It'll be Christ and the Bible and, or anything other than. Christ or the scriptures. So to know the true Father, you must first know the true Jesus. The question is this, how do you recognize the true Jesus? Simple, we look in the scriptures. If you were to say, Father, receive my spirit, who would you be praying to? 
the Father, right? If you were to say, Jesus, receive my spirit, who would you be praying to? Well, Jesus. In Acts, 7, 5, or, um, Acts chapter 7, verse 59, Stephen, while full of the Holy Spirit, actually prayed to Jesus. And they went on stoning Stephen, and he called out upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So Stephen prayed to Jesus. Not just through him, as the Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults will get into teach. If it is acceptable for him, meaning Stephen, then it should be good enough for us, right? The Jesus of the Bible is prayed to, but you might say, Jesus said, pray to the Father. I do. But I also pray to Jesus, as Stephen did. If the church is only to pray to the Father, then why did Stephen, under the inspiration of the Spirit, address Jesus in his prayer? Was he wrong? I doubt it. Jesus was also worshipped. And those verses we went over, and let's um, expound on those a bit more. Matthew 14, 33. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You certainly are God's Son. Matthew 28, 9. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And there's a lot more, guys. Hebrews 1, 6. John 9, 35 through 38. Uh, Matthew 2, 2. Matthew 2.11, Matthew 14.33, Matthew 28.9, lots of times, yeah. Um, so real quick, just, uh, could that also be why uh, Thomas had also said, uh, my Lord and my God? Yeah, exactly. Because he recognized that Jesus is God, right? God incarnate, God in the flesh, absolutely. So it actually is against Mormon and Jehovah's Witness theologies to pray to Jesus, but only pray through him is how it's taught in those cults. If you do worship Jesus, how can you do that without praying to him? That's my question. And do you honor him equally as with the Father, as Jesus said to do in John 5.23? After Jesus' resurrection, he showed himself to many people. One of them was Thomas in John 20.28. 20, where Thomas had that famous confession, my Lord and my God. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. The literal Greek says, the Lord of me and the God of me. A very powerful recognition from Thomas that we have. Um, anyone come in contact with Mormons, by the way? Yeah? So I'll give little snippets before we dive into Mormonism. So in Mormonism, um, they have additions in the Book of Mormon and additions in the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. One of their additions is a book um, called Third Nephi. And in Third Nephi 1918, Jesus is prayed to and called Lord and God. It's useful to bring up to a Mormon. That really disturbs them when you bring that up. Why is Jesus in your scriptures prayed to and called Lord and God? It's Third Nephi Chapter 19, verse 18. Mm -hmm. So, whenever we hear people say, my God, that's actually a pagan expression used today. Uh, two points can be made from this. First, do you agree that Thomas, a devout Jew, was swearing like a pagan of today? No, definitely not. Second, there's no biblical account of swear words. Peter did swear in Mark uh, 14, 71 by swearing he did not know Jesus, if you remember that. To say Thomas was swearing and really exclaiming profound surprise 
has no evidence. And I bring that up because I've had that conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that Thomas was just merely swearing at that point. There's no evidence for that at all. Not close. God calls Jesus God in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But of the Son, he, the Father, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's very clear. Unfortunately, in the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible, the New World Translation, Hebrews 1.8 puts it like this, quote, God is your throne forever and ever. That's it. Here's, here's the issue, though. I want to be fair and make sure you guys understand if you do have these conversations. Technically speaking, in literal translation from the Greek manuscripts, that is a legitimate translation. It can be translated like that. The reason this is because in the Greek language in this verse, the word God and throne both end in a noun construction that is interchangeable, right? You can switch the two. So at that point, it actually makes the New World Translation legitimate. However, here's the problem. That verse in Hebrews 1.8 is actually quoting Psalm 45.6, which cannot be translated that way. It's impossible. So that's where it falls apart. So just know that one. I've had that one thrown at me before, and before I knew the answer, it was an issue for me um, to dig and find that one. Now, this is the, another part of not only Jehovah's Witnesses, but it's becoming prevalent, and we're going to be diving into that with, um, what do we call it, like the postmodern Christianity or whatever, the, just the craziness that we're seeing. I don't even have a word for it anymore. The New Apostolic Revelation or... <coughs> Reformation. Reformation. Progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity, yeah. So here's an issue that's permeating from Jehovah's Witnesses into that. Jehovah's Witnesses claim that there is no part of a man that continues to exist consciously after death. We have a friend who was raised a Jehovah's Witness. Um, she's now since come out of it. She's now since saved, but still that part permeates her thought. We, my wife and I were having dinner with uh, she and her husband one night a few years ago, and we got in this conversation, and she ends up telling us that, oh, I can't believe that there's a hell. Well, why? I can't believe that, that God would you know, be so evil, I think is the word that she used, to, send, to A, create a hell or to send people to it. And I said, well, then what's the point? Why did Christ die, and what are you being saved from if there isn't a hell? So, the fancy word for this is called annihilationism. That's what you'll hear it referred to. And the idea is that you just cease to exist. There's no eternal punishment. There's no hell. And you, that's snuck its way into the church. Yes, it has. <clears throat> now, you're asking to call out people by name. Todd White's famous for this one, um, for the annihilationistic view. Anyone that preaches at Bethel Reading also extremely famous for this, for the annihilationist view. Um, we'll, we'll get to more of them, but you'll see how they just gradually start to, to downplay hell or, its, or the consequences of sin until finally you just no longer exist. What's that? Yes, that they do. Um, soul sleeps, another one of it. Yeah. They insist that human beings entirely cease to exist at the moment of physical death. No existence anymore. They deny that humans have a soul or any spiritual component to their being. 
They claim that the soul is the entire creature, not something inside that survives the death of the body. Man, according to the Watchtower, oh, by the way, those of you that don't know, the Watchtower Society is a Jehovah's Witness publication. Um, they hold that on either higher planes than the scriptures, okay? So the Watchtower... The Watchtower Society, and we'll go over those. It, it's, it's an entire society. It's not one man like Joseph Smith or one woman like Ellen G. White or anything like that. No, they, they don't have that. They're a little bit more sneaky than that. So the Watchtower claims that no one, uh, man does not have a soul. Man is a soul. So you can't separate the two. Okay? That man does not have a soul, but man is a soul. That you can't separate the two, that it's not a separate being, right? So the skin suit that I'm wearing is the exact same thing as my soul. And you can't separate them. <laughs> right? Right. And that's where their, their warped view of, say, blood transfusions or eating a steak medium rare, where it's how it should be eaten. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> yep. Okay, so this, of course, um, simply means that the living, breathing, physical being, that you can't uh, separate the two in the Jehovah's Witness view. One way the biblical authors use the word soul, though hardly the only way, the same word can have different meanings in different contexts. Let me explain. If I'm teaching a class at a gym and instruct a group of men to exercise their right arms, I mean something very different then a militia leader who urges his men to exercise their right to bear arms, right? But I'm using the same word. The sentences are nearly identical, but the words exercise, right, and arms all have completely different meanings derived from the context which they're being used. So what does the Old Testament say about the soul and this whole annihilationist view? So the word soul holds more than one meaning in Scripture, right? It certainly can mean a person. We've seen it referred to as a whole person, such as when we today say something like, oh, you poor soul, or bless her soul. Actually, it's bless her heart, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Those of you from the South know what that, that is. Or um, in the creation account, for example, the Bible does say, then the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being or living soul, Genesis 2.7. And commenting on the same passage, however, Paul says, So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Indeed, people are often referred to as souls when they are numbered, such as when Luke writes of the day of Pentecost. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So we're seeing it referred to as this, a person being referred to as a soul. So the word soul can simply refer to a person rather than the inner component of a person. But is that really all that that word can mean? Not at all. Remember what Jesus identified as the greatest commandment in the law in Deuteronomy 6.5 that he was quoting. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your might. So he separates them, right, as separate from the person. Indeed, that formula, with all your heart, with all your soul, is frequently used throughout the book of Deuteronomy and several times beyond it. Joshua, if you remember, for example, says, 
Love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He makes the distinction. King Josiah, it is said, quote, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all of his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. So such passages as this clearly treat the soul as a thing that a man has, not a term for what a man is. In this sense, soul is no more of a word for entirety of a man than heart or might is. So Job's witnesses attempt to sidestep this when you bring it up, or any other one that's going along that path of annihilationism, by claiming that the soul, though meaning the whole person, came to be used as a euphemism for life. Well, that doesn't fit. When the soul goes out of a person, it just means that their life goes out of them, i.e. they die. That's how they're sidestepping it. And to love God with all your soul just means to love him with all of your life. Now, this doesn't work, especially in Scripture. Uriah, for example, swears to David, By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. 2 Samuel 11, 11. So that's not going to make sense in light of that interpretation. David's soul has life and is not a mere synonym for David's life. His soul is listed as a very distinct thing from David's life. So if we just look in the book of Genesis, we see an interesting pattern. The word soul is used consistently in the narrative of the patriarchs for a conscious feeling aspect of a person within their being. Genesis 27, 4. And prepare a savory dish for me, as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Genesis 34, 8. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Genesis 42, 21. Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us. Yet we would not listen, therefore this distress has come upon us. So you can see the differentiation, right? It is in this consistent context that we read of Rachel in Genesis 35, 18. It came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Ani, but his father called him Benjamin. What was departing her at death was not some vague idea of life, right? but rather an essential personal aspect of her being. The verse plainly says that she died and then the soul left her, which was hardly be necessary if the soul simply just meant life. Her soul, in this case, is a conscious aspect of her inner self. So how about the New Testament? You'll get that argument too. Well, that's Old Testament. Golly, we get that argument with even the progressive um, Christians today. Oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. Like, it's not the same person. You know, it's totally irrelevant. This reality becomes even clearer in the New Testament, whose writers frequently use the word soul for an inner aspect. Uh, Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 10, 28. This one's a good one. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What was that reference again? That's Matthew 10, 28. 
that reference blows their entire theology out of the water. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, just for laughs and giggles, let me pull up the New World Translation. Let's look that up. We're going to look up Matthew 10, 28. See how they translate it. And do not become fearful of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Oh, rut row. Yeah, rut row. It's even the same in their translation. They don't say hell. They say Gehenna, which is the place of outer torment. But still, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, it's still separate, body and soul. Hmm. Uh, no worries. But, uh, so I do know, I, I'm, I've seen uh, Luke 1, verse 46 and 55, the King James Version, mm-hmm. said where uh, Mary is quoted saying, my soul, my soul do magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And then goes on and on. But it just, yeah, soul would mean a separate. Because he used us. They used soul and spirit in the same. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it separates them. I mean, right. Mary is saying that the two are separate entities at this point. I don't thank you. I'm going to add that one to it, too. So Jesus is not speaking in a vacuum here in Matthew 10 28. That's red letters. That's the words of Christ. The writings of the Jews of Jesus' day also show that they also held to the idea that a soul transcends death as well. So, um, have you guys read about the Maccabean Revolt? Does that sound familiar to some of you that have read? Okay. So, Maccabees, um, it's part of the Apocrypha, uh, which is those extra books in the Catholic Bible. So, in Maccabees chapter 13, verses 14 through 16, says this, Let us not fear him who thinks he is killing us, for great is the struggle of the soul and the danger of eternal torment lying before those who transgress the commandment of God. Therefore, let us put on the full armor of self-control, which is divine reason. For if we so die, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will welcome us, and all the fathers will praise us. So even they separate and acknowledge that the soul goes on beyond after death, one form or another. Question. Yeah. So then the Sadducees not accepting uh, the resurrection. The resurrection. Uh-huh. That's the same thing then, right? Yeah, but, well, the, the, yeah, actually, it is. Yeah, it, it's really close. I mean, the Sadducees just didn't accept a bodily resurrection, but yeah. So very um, similar language that we see that Jesus uses in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. So we can see the separation, that something happened to these people, both good and bad, to continue their existence outside of death, right? So Watchtower literature, they may argue that as a parable, one doesn't need to believe that this is in any way represents reality, but it fits with Jesus' plain teaching quoted above. Like he's just spinning a yarn, you know, an old fisherman's tale. Well, that's an issue. We should also note that all of Jesus' other parables draw on true aspects of life, like debt, farming, 
Servants left in charge of their master's possessions. Men robbed when traveling alone. Strong men defending their houses from thieves. That Jesus would here draw on and encourage completely mythical beliefs about the state of human existence after death without ever correcting them would be dishonest. And it would be wholly unthinkable in the light of the rest of Jesus' teaching, right? That doesn't fit the character of Christ that we know from scriptures. Jesus went out of his way to refute the false traditions of the first century Jews. When they came up, Jesus does not treat the belief in an enduring soul as such a tradition. What about the book of Revelation? John writes in chapter 6, verse 9, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And then further on in chapter 20, John says of those souls, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." So I can go on and on and on about how in Jewish literature, um, secular literature, it, it shows this idea in that time frame that the soul is a separate entity from the body, and it does continue. It was a, a belief held that it does continue on after death. So this idea of annihilationism, that when we die, we just cease to exist, it doesn't even have a historical merit on their part. Is it cease to no, completely cease to exist. The only ones that continue to exist in the Jehovah's Witness religion is the, the um, blessed 144,000. That's it. No, Jehovah's Witness is the 144,000. Mm-hmm. So they let those people exist. Right. But the rest of us... Then why does anybody join that religion when the 144,000 is... Because you don't know. You, you maybe something good, maybe something bad. <laughs> you just you just don't know. You don't know which one you are. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wasn't it the soul that was said to uh, when you something about when you die and that the soul gets returned to God? In Jehovah's Witness theology. Well, Jesus said on the cross, "You will be with me in paradise." Mm-hmm. I mean, but I think the soul returns, uh, upon our physical death, the soul uh, returns to God's at some point. Well, yeah, but like, like um, my wife brought up, you know, the thief on the cross, that's the, our best example. You know, Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise, when the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. See, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? Um, so we know that instantly. There's no sleep. There's no anything like that. Either it's heaven or hell. It's, it's one of the two, right? And that happens instantaneously as soon as we die. Oh, let's take a look. This one's going to be entertaining, huh? They are. Okay, so that's 2 Corinthians 5.8. Let's see how they translate that. So 2 Corinthians 5.8, they translate, But we are of good courage, 
and would prefer to be absent from the body and to make our home with the Lord. We would prefer it. I mean, I prefer it. That's so weird. Okay, while the New Testament is quick to point out and reject false human traditions that developed in the Jewish community, it doesn't treat this belief as such. It affirms and expounds on it. This is because we have seen the belief is rooted in the Old Testament. It's not a later human tradition. It's a biblical revelation about the true nature of man. It's Jehovah's Witnesses who are reintroducing a central aspect of the false human tradition of the Sadducees and claiming that there is no enduring spiritual aspect of man that is consciously awaiting future resurrection and or eternal judgment. This is the sort of human tradition that the New Testament does indeed refute. Such matters of eternal significance, I think we would do well to go with the teachings of Christ rather than the traditions of the Watchtower Society at this point. So if you're not part of the 144,000, then you're just... You cease. You're asleep. I've studied for some Okay. And I'm here to tell you that what happens is if you're not part of the small flock, yeah. uh, the 144,000, then you will remain on the paradise earth for the rest of eternity. But how do you continue to exist when they claim that, you know, there's no existence after the soul? How does that work? You know, that's a good question. Yeah. They also need to say, if, if you're neither one of those flocks, if you didn't obey or you're not one of the gods, I mean, you didn't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then what happens? Then you're just annihilated. You're gone. You, you cease to exist. You just you know. And you have a real vague thing. Yeah. You don't know whether you're in or out. You have no idea. Wow. That's a horrible way to live. I, I can't imagine going through life on a day-to-day basis not not knowing which part you are. These are the same people. I don't want to create Witnesses are the same people, and I know the doctor so well. Um, and that is, Christ had already returned. Already there. We'll get into that one. Yeah, yeah a, a lot of the, the Watchtower false prophecies. Yeah. It leads to a works ministry. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, it does. So, what evidences do we have of us existing either in heaven or hell or us existing after death in Scripture? Well, we went through a lot, and here's a couple more. What do the prophets say? Isaiah 14, verses 9 through 10. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, Even you have been made weak as we, you have become like us. Paul says in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. 2 Corinthians 5.8 
We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Jesus says in Luke 23, 43, and he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise, as we already mentioned. So does the soul, yeah. It's all where the comma is, is, is where the attack is. Right. Truly I tell you today, meaning just for this moment, I'm telling you this today. Which can be at any time. And that's not even close to how the participle is in the Greek. You know, that's a that's a gross mistranslation. Yeah. Yeah, baby. You had a... Lost it. Okay. <laughs> so does the soul cease to exist after death? No. The soul does not cease to exist after death. The Bible clearly teaches us in the New Testament that we continue on after death. Yes. And is annihilationism true? As we're seeing being taught today in the new, you know, ecumenical churches. So you can see that forever and ever is a phrase used of the glory of God that will never cease in 1 Timothy 1.17, Revelations 5.13. The same phrase, listen carefully, the exact same language, that forever and ever language, is used to speak of the torment of people that will never cease in Revelation 19.3 and 20.10. It is the exact same language. And don't they also say that it, there is no hell, it's just being eternally separated from God. The progressives? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think even Jehovah Witness, or at least our friend, she's like, well, it just means you're not with him in heaven. I know, it's inconsistent. Yeah. When, and, and I'm sorry, I, no, no, no. Struggles, I still struggle with um, because I've been so indoctrinated with those quotes, so indoctrinated that, that I still struggle with the part that says, um, and hell will be casted into the lake of fire. And I'm thinking, okay, according to teachings, it's telling me that um, hell is still the common grave like they teach. Okay, I, I, see, I see where you're going. Where did you come out of? Did you come out of Jehovah's Witnesses? Uh -huh. I was raised Adventist, okay. but had lots and lots of Mormon friends uh, who, who, you know, I mean, I, I, So you had the trifecta. Yeah, just, yeah. You had all of them. So, so your, your question about, about the scripture saying, you know, hell being cast into the lake of fire. Now, the verbiage used there is the exact same fire that we saw uh, with Moses in the burning bush. It's a fire that is everlasting but does not consume. So when we're thinking of fire, we're thinking it just burns up and then that's the end of it. And it's not the language used there. It's used of an eternal torment fire. So annihilationism simply can't work in the light of what scriptures teach. They teach that the soul continues on. They teach that um, God's love is eternal and his righteousness is eternal. They also teach that God's judgment is eternal and the... Uh, the torment of the people will never cease. That also is eternal. So that, that's part of their teaching? No. Okay. No, no, no. Their teaching is that annihilation, it just ceases to exist. Okay, okay. What God actually teaches is, no, 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 you continue to exist one form or the other. Yeah. So what is soul sleep? So soul sleep is the teaching that when a person dies, his soul, quote, sleeps until the time of the future resurrection. In this condition, a person is not aware, nor is he conscious. The, uh, the witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists both hold to this doctrine. 
Jehovah's Witnesses have many false prophecies and predictions. We're going to get into those. They make many claims in their attempt to convert you to their faith. They profess to have the only true Christian church, be the only true representatives of God, have the only correct biblical teaching, and be the only true announcers of Jehovah's coming kingdom. So if they are the only true church and the only true voice of God's word, then what they say should prove true, especially in prophecy, right? I mean, that kind of goes without saying. When it comes to predicting the future, the Watchtower organization, however, has failed miserably over the, the past. So here's some of the false predictions made over the years by the Watchtower organization. If you present these to a witness, they will probably say something like, those are taken out of context, or they didn't claim to be the prophet of God. Or, I've heard this one, the light is getting brighter. We are understanding Bible prophecy better now, etc. So make a copy of these false prophecies, and they are right out of Watchtower literature. So, why is this an issue? Well, remember in Deuteronomy 18.22, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, this is a message the Lord has not spoken That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. If someone makes a false prophecy and claims to be a prophet of God, they are false prophets and are not to be listened to. Do the witnesses claim to be the prophet of God? Absolutely. 1972, the Jehovah's Witnesses Watchtower claimed to be the prophet of God. Here's the quote. So does Jehovah have a prophet to help them, to warn them of dangers and to declare things to come? These questions can be answered in the affirmative. Who is this prophet? This prophet was not one man, but was a body of men and women. It was a small group of footstep followers of Jesus Christ, known at that time as international Bible students. Today, they are known as Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. Of course, it is easy to say this group acts as a prophet of God. It is quite another thing to prove it. That's Watchtower, April 1, 1972, page 197. So, what they say in the Watchtower in 1897? Quote, Our Lord, the appointed king, is now, now present since October 1874. Right? 1899. Obviously, he didn't show up in 74. The battle of the great day of God Almighty, which will end in AD 1914, with the complete overthrow of Earth's present rulership, is already commenced. They said that in 1899. 1916, remember they said it was supposed to end in 1914? The Bible chronology herein presented shows that the six great 1,000-year days, beginning with Adam, are ended, and the great seventh day, the 1,000 years of Christ's reign, began in 1873. 1918, therefore we may confidently expect that 1925 will mark the return of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the faithful prophets of old. Particularly... (coughs) those named by the Apostle in Hebrews 11, to the condition of human perfection. 1922. (laughs) The date 1925 is even more distinctly indicated by the Scripture than 1914. 1923. Our thought is that 1925 is definitely settled by the Scriptures, as to Noah, the Christian, now has much more upon which to base his faith than Noah had upon which to base his faith in a coming deluge. 1925. The year 1925 is here. 
With great expectation, Christians have looked forward to this year. Many have confidently expected that all members of the body of Christ will be changed to heavenly glory during this year. This may be accomplished. It may not be. In his own due time, God will accomplish his purposes concerning his people. Christians should not be so deeply concerned about what may transpire this year. That was in January 1 of 1925. Also in 1925, it is to be expected that Satan will try to inject into the minds of the consecrated the thought that 1925 should see an end to the work. The year after, 26. Some anticipated that the work would end in 1925, but the Lord did not state so. The difficulty was that the friends inflated their imaginations beyond reason, and that when their imaginations burst asunder, they were inclined to throw away everything. 1931. There was a measure of disappointment on the part of Jehovah's faithful ones on earth concerning the years 1914, 1918, and 1925. Which disappointment lasted for a time, and they also learned to quit fixing dates for the future. <laughs> 1941. Receiving the gift, the marching children clasped it to them, not a toy or plaything for idle pleasure, but the Lord's provided instrument for most effective work in the remaining months before Armageddon. 1968. True, there have been those in times past who predicted the end of the world, even announcing a specific date, yet nothing happened. The end did not come. They were guilty of false prophesying. Why? What was missing? Missing from such people were God's truths and evidence that he was using and guiding them. This is all from the Watchtower Society, folks. Also 1968. Why are you looking forward to 1975? Oh, no. So a Jehovah's Witness might say that the organization is still learning. If that is so, then how can they trust what they are taught now by the Watchtower? Will what they are being taught now change also? Just remember, a true prophet of God will not err in prophesying. Only a false prophet does. The Jehovah's Witnesses organization, which claims to be a prophet of God, is really a false prophet. And Jesus warned us by saying in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles and deceive even the elect if that were possible. That is correct. Not even the Son knows the appointed time. That is correct. Only the Father knows. And we see this happening in the progressive Christianity movement because we see them, I mean, they're a little bit more sneaky. They're not saying exact dates, but they're letting you infer it. You know, they give you the leading questions. Do you know what I mean? That makes you say, well, you know, God's going to return whenever, such and such day. Um, and there's been a number of them that have done that. Uh, books, I mean, yes, I, I, I get it. We're definitely in some weird times and definitely some end times. And it's, it's a fascinating subject to study. But to have this idea that we're focusing on, it's going to be this day, you know. No. What does Christ say? He says, be busy until the master of the house comes. Just continue with your work. Continue with witnessing. Continue with discipleship. I'll get there, <laughs> right? You know, you don't have to usher in my coming. I'm, I'm totally capable all by myself. 
one reason, if you don't mind me adding just real No, not at all. Anyways, so one of the reasons also, and I, I, I've noticed, um, they say, well, so tell me, when will be the signs of your, your, your soon coming or so? And so they'll, they'll teach that you'll know the times, the seasons, the things that have happened. Right. In the last days, and you'll know that, that it's it's that time when you get, you know. So that's where they go. And, and they say that the second time, this is the, I should clarify the witnesses, a statement of uh, Christ's return. And I, and I asked him, I said, isn't there a physical or an actual return? I'm going to know. If right. You tell me Christ is here, I'm going to say, where is he? Because yeah. don't believe it. But uh, that you would know it because you know the times there, so therefore he's present. I said, but and, and don't feel bad about, you know, you, you keep apologizing. Don't feel bad about interrupting the class or throwing things off topic. There's one thing for me to read and to study outside of these cults. I've never been in them. So I don't know nearly as much as someone that is immersed in them. So do, please don't feel bad. Okay? <laughs> I had so much frustrations and confusions and all that that one day I got so just and I took through through a crowd of well I mean the yeah, yeah, yeah. open space I didn't hurt nobody but it's just that I threw the open space and I just like why so I had I had to just, uh, just I, I said okay God just you and me this Bible and if any interpretation that I had learned came about and say okay be gone right and just just me and the word and pray so that's how I got started working my way out of it. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Question in the back. With all of your questions and your comments, they help us all learn, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really good. Um, I just wondered, like, obviously, all of these predictions of them and trying to say the name right. That's a huge deal, and it's kind of an obvious way to see that there's a false prophecy going on there. But, like, do they have, does Jehovah's Witness have, like, oh, do they do they refer to, like, a canon, a Bible, like we do, 66 books, or do, like, do they have other books? Like, the Watchtower like, Society, the yeah. Yep. Okay, so, because like, I think the Mormons have like a quad. Yeah, so so the Book of Mormon and then they have the Doctrine of Covenants and then the Pearl of Great Price. Okay. Uh-huh. So would that have like for the for example, would that have more additional Old Testament prophecies? Where instead of like a different translation of like our Old Testament, you know what I mean? Would there be like additional like added to that? Hmm? Like they added to them? Yeah. I just am curious, like if they like if they had Not that I'm aware of. How about you? Are you no? Actually uh, all they have is, is their normal translations and of course they have their different study books, materials, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Okay. But um, I think of the watchtower as their giving the Holy Spirit per se. They they see the Holy Spirit as the, the God's act of force. Rather than a person, yeah. Or nothing. And so the Watchtower Society comes uh, like the Holy Spirit or so giving us information of which 
when given to us, we must hold it sacred as, as it's, that's a message from God. And that's how... So is it just a group of people? Yes. It's just a group of people. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you must qualify to be a part of this. Right. Which, in fact, some of the very people that have been in that have come back. And, like, if you watch YouTube, some of those people have gotten out of it and said, whoa. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, Praise God. I know. Our friend who came out of it, it was it was a sin, and she was a disobedient little girl because she wanted to listen to the Christian songs. Right, so worship she music. Her radio. And yeah, sneak yeah. her radio to listen to Christian songs as a little girl. And she's like, I knew I loved Jesus, and but I didn't know why, and nobody could tell me why I so longed for Jesus. Oh, that's amazing. yeah. And then and then it was really weird talking to her because she's come out of it in such a way, and, right? And has profound understanding of the Bible, but then she still doesn't believe there's a hell. Right. She still doesn't. No. So she can't accept the the truth. I mean, right. She said what she knows of God and what he has shown her is an almighty, loving God can't create such evil. And that's the problem, is it comes from our emotions, right? Any time we interject our emotional understanding of who God should be rather than how he is actually revealed to us, something's going to go awry. You know, one or one or two ways. Like either you're gonna have this fluffy celestial Santa Claus guy, or like me that I gave you the example last week when I was doing my thesis on sin, hell, and the wrath of God. You have this like Zeus ready to you know shove a lightning bolt down your throat at any time. Well, here's something else, and they will tell you this because I've asked about this. I said, why is it that I come to you guys, I go to your meetings, the malls, all that, and I just feel dead inside. <laughs> Jehovah as to where we are listed, but, right. but um, one of the things they, they do to try to help the people is that they're putting these little things of, hey, we found in these caves or these parts of scrolls or pieces that, that, uh, that are revealing Yohei which ends up being translated to Yahweh or Jehovah, and then they get into this tetragrammaton, and uh, anything to cap, uh, capture you into thinking that uh, all the more that Jehovah is the one that you worship, not this Jesus, because to them, Jesus is not, nothing more than a created being. Right, he's Michael the Archangel. And, and yeah. therefore, is, is nothing more than called a Christ. But they see that Jehovah is the Savior. Jehovah being the Father only. So are you still searching, or have you come to know? I've come, I've come to know here. I, I, there's a reason why you don't keep coming to here. Well, we're glad you're here. Absolutely. You're Charlie, right? Yes. Yeah, this is Charlie. I got a little blonde hair. Once set up in a larger. Well, well, praise God. Praise God, you're here, Charlie, and God pulled you from that trifecta of just. I mean, that is inundation that I've never even heard of. I mean, I've heard of someone from, you know, Seventh-day Adventism or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, but all three at the same time. See, and, the, and the same thing, I don't want to keep getting off topic, but the thing about uh, Adventists is they're still waiting on what's called the investigative judgment. Right. You're hearing that doctrine? Okay. And, the, and they're still trying Remember to Jan brought that up. Right. I know. Right. And I'm like, how are you guys blinded to this? 
how was I blinded to this? You know, um, so he's still trying to work it out and figure it out. And but it's exciting that so your eyes are open. I know. I know. I love it. I, I absolutely love it because, and that's the thing, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit because Devin's cousin and I, when we were in school together, we'd have, um, I got to text Sam and see when it was, but we'd have Mormon night at Denny's. And it was like Thursdays or something. I can't remember what day of the week it was, but seriously, we'd meet there at like nine o'clock and go to like one in the morning. It was crazy. And we did this for like two years. And I mean, whether or not anything happened to him, I pray it did um, with the Mormon missionaries, but I don't know, you know, never heard from him again. But to see you sitting here right now, saved, Charlie, is amazing. Okay, can I just say this, regardless of what religion or what direction then, please, just with, with love, um, do, do, don't make it a bickering thing. Or right. You're wrong, you're wrong, don't, don't do that. But planting a seed. And living on them anyways, sharing that word because eventually they could come back, come back around. They could come back. And that's really important. And that's the and the important part is for us to know our scriptures, not ours, but the scriptures. Right? I mean you can't have these conversations if you're going in just as blind and deceived as they are. Right, because like the blind leading the blind, I know. Well it's like the end of Ben's sermon this morning. Mm-hmm. Well, to say to the homosexuals and the transgenders and whoever those other people are that might be in the body sitting there, sitting in our church, right. and say, we love you. We are sinners too. We're lost too. But to yep. love these people to We're in the church. There's a reason. Yeah. But if we if we bash it with both sides, you're going in. So we're here for the next two weeks, right? Before we're in Montana? Okay, so then I'm going to change things up. So for the next two weeks, because this is going to be a long conversation, we'll go over the progressive Christianity. So we'll do that this week. Yeah, yeah, because that one's going to be a lot. That's more than just, you know, mentioning some tenets and, and going through it. Okay. Yeah, no, no worries. Like I said, it's, it all is kind of pointing to, I think, which is the most dangerous ones, is the progressive Christianity and the new apostolic reformation. And, and that's what we're doing the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charlie, you weren't in class last week, but yeah, it's, that's the whole point of cults. And every conversation I've been led into with Jehovah's Witnesses, it always starts with the same point, that Christ was crucified on a pole rather than a cross. I'm like, who cares? Like, it doesn't even matter. You know, that has no relevance to theology. But their point in doing that is to try and get me to doubt one historical fact. And if they can see or sow that seed of doubt, then that opens the door for the rest of it. Exactly. That's the first thing that was out of his mouth. Yea, hath God said? It was the first lie. Right. And then we, we would, would help by a way of reasoning with you and enough scripture that they can can direct you to our point. Therefore, now that you feel you have Bible truth, because remember, 
they also say that well there's a verse that says for God is spirit and, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth truth so mm -hmm. now they say we are the truth and you must have accurate knowledge so therefore you must believe this the way we believe well that's not creepy at all and therefore now you yeah you're, you're coming into our fold as, as the true oh my gosh <laughs> yeah that's not creepy at all <laughs> well, let's close this in prayer, guys, so we can... Uh, Could I ask one last question? Oh, yeah, Mike. Jehovah's Witness came to my house, and he told me that since becoming a Jehovah's Witness, he has never sinned since then. Is that part of the doctrine? That one's new to me. It's weird belief. Well, that's wow. weird. Have you heard that one, Charlie? That one's new. I know, I can't ever... I don't know if I can confirm that or not. But when when did he come by the house? Oh, this was like 10 years ago. Oh, okay. I was talking to him, and I didn't know if it was his weird thing, because I've not heard that from any other Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, the... That they can they believe they can reach earthly perfection. Not Jehovah's Witnesses. No, I mean, that, that comes... Because they're a workspace faith. They're constantly working. Right, but they just don't know. They don't know which one that they are. Yeah. Door to door missions. Yeah. So, so they they don't know. They can't make that claim. I mean, I mean the the only ones, and I'll research further, Mike. But the only ones that I know that make that claim, you know, like in political realms, we have far right and far left. Are the ones that are far left in theology, and there that's like you know Wesleyan Arminists, and they make that claim that they can actually reach sinless perfection. None of them actually have. But they make the claim it is a possibility. And of course they live in torment, right? Because they never do. So that one's new. I'm gonna research that, that one. <laughs> yeah, but you're our secret weapon, Charlie, so we're gonna use you. <laughs> well, let's, let's go ahead and pray, guys. Father, again, we, we praise you, Lord, for your truth. Um, we praise you for bringing Charlie out of that. That is amazing, God, of your grace. And here's a testament of it sitting right in front of us. We just pray that as we continue these studies, um, that it equips us and we can confidently go out and you would call those others that are out of this as well and save them also. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.